Hi, y'all. Uh, my name is Sophia, and I am in recovery for anger, control, and abandonment. Hey guys, uh, we're gonna pray real quick and then I'll get started. Uh, so my co-lead recently went to join the Marines, so she's off in uh, Paris Island, so I'm gonna pray for her real quick, right? Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for giving us Kristen for the first seven steps. Um, we know that you have opened this door and she's walking through it. We miss her dearly. Um, we know you're gonna bring her back even more refined and devoted to you. Um, thank you for putting passions in her and letting us see you um, just being executed through all the steps that she's willing to take. We love you and thank you for tonight. Okay. Um, I was exposed to Christ at an early age, uh, and I knew I was in need of a savior. We were a pretty typical Christian family, oldest of three kids. Uh, I was in church on Sundays where I learned the truths of Christ, but I never actually had personal relationships. Uh, I said the same melancholic prayer before dinner, and other than that, Christ wasn't mentioned much. Nor did we have meaningful conversations at home preventing my temptations from the trial and error of sex, drugs, and being my own God during my formative years. My parents were also not having meaningful conversations and were divorced by 2000. I was about to find out how lonely and confusing growing up way too fast could be. After the collapse of my parents' marriage, my mother chose to pursue her PhD, and that left me to raise both brothers for about a decade. I was officially the pseudo-mother to a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. I was 12. Things with my dad were rough on the best days, and visitation wasn't consistent, and the constant fighting between him and my mom showed me my first real dose of how much you could get accomplished with raw anger. I wound up mimicking those mistakes my parents made over the next few years and walling up any emotion that wasn't anger. I knew anger well, though, really well. And living in survival mode during these years makes some of those memories a bit blurry, but I do remember sitting in my mom's lawyer's office crying as she delivered the news of my court-appointed anger management classes. My violent actions at home had real-world consequences, 10 hours of those. I was alone, lost, and too young for this amount of emotional responsibility I was carrying at home. Mom had night classes most weekdays and was studying on the weekends, fully committed to her PhD. That left me in charge of baseball practice, homework, dinner, bath time, popcorn, and Mickey Mouse. Although the pseudo mother role did not come naturally, the expectation to control everything and everyone in my path seems and seemed to this day very natural. At this point, Christ was shelved. No one had time for his or his truths. I was steering this ship. My hand was in everybody's business. While raging out at anybody that overstepped my law, um, I had no, I overstepped my law, I kept those in check. I had no emotional stability and quickly my dad was shoved out of the picture. I'd pushed so hard to make his time with me so miserable that he finally gave up. His abandonment felt like a win on the outside, but it broke me even more on the inside. And I kept up this roller coaster with most men from then on, testing and pushing till they cracked and walked away. There was a roller coaster ride I didn't even know I was on. Meanwhile, mom kept accomplishing her goals of pursuing worldly affirmation she even dated. But now, as an eighth grader, I was losing grips with my friends and no longer attended the church that I once loved and I was sucked into a vicious cycle of anger towards most people. My only form of relief was lashing out at my poor family. I needed a, cha a change, a savior, but nobody came to mind. 
Uh, high school was better. Mom got remarried to a wonderful atheist, and the baton was passed to him. I got to attempt childhood again, um, though I was completely out of the loop. My only real connection to my high school peers was my athletic ability. Tennis was God's hand, solid and firm at that time for me. It kept me sober and mostly drug-free, because I couldn't play hungover and high, so I didn't. I was careful only to make friends I was prepared to lose, and my need to control every choice that was made kept me isolated from most teenagers. Tennis drained an acceptable amount of my raw anger, and I worked out often to keep that tiger at bay. I kept my emotions inaccessible for safety reasons, and I was so damaged from the neglect and abandonment, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I couldn't drop the pseudo-mother persona, and my mom wasn't fully fit for the task, so I kept it for years. It fed my need to control and dominate my brothers and prevented me from feeling feelings other than anger. God placed some wonderful people in my life at that time, throughout those decade, that decade, but I allowed Satan to keep me in my vicious cycle where I was most comfortable as my own God. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not abandoned, stuck down, but not destroyed. A verse that I wish somebody would have tattooed on my forehead those years. I felt discarded by my parents and buried alive in emotional turmoil. I was done. College wasn't much better. My issues would continue to thrive, uh, but a full, as full-ride tennis scholarships were offered to me across the country, I picked a school within driving distance so that I could continue to pseudo-mother my brothers and check in on mom. I found purpose in winning on the tennis court and control and affirmation from fleeting relationships, but those bored me quickly and men didn't seem to want to be fully controlled. So I found myself abandoned, speechless, and still in need of a savior. I felt Christ reminding me of the truths so many had penciled on my heart as a young girl. I knew I belonged to Christ no matter what and that I needed him in my darkness and sin. I knew that he died for my sins, my sins of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. As John 8.32 says, uh, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And John 14.6, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I knew this. And I knew I was loved, at least by him, and that he was blameless in my sin and lack of coping skills. But I didn't know where that left me, forgiven, guilty, dead, alive. I, just, I didn't know where to start. So I moved back home after receiving my degree, a degree that I thought would prove worth to my mother, a degree that I haven't used a day in my life. But Christ was showing me that my worth wasn't in a piece of paper, that it was in him. And he loved me, and my sins didn't define me. And Christ was waiting for me to turn and look for him for direction. And for the first time as an adult, I walked into church ready to be fed. But choosing to be a consumer Christian made it easy. I loved my routine of attending a big box church on Sundays. I loved the praise and worship that could bring me to tears, that no one had to do my name. So I thought, I didn't have to be a member. I could just be fed. Had really matured since college. Gotten a great job, was living at home, had a few friends, thrived on my surface level connections and continued to work out and work ridiculous hours to keep my anger, once again, at a socially appropriate level. I was keeping most bad habits shelved and had even started dating a wonderful guy. Things had moved fast. He was vulnerable about his struggles with addiction and had been in recovery for years. He was running a Bible study at his house and was quick to truly serve others. 
He also had lifelong friends, said that what was on his mind, was honest with me, and he loved me. We were all in, engaged at six months, and I had the fairy tale wedding at a year. Life was great. We started worshiping each other, isolating while traveling the world as newlyweds. But we were quickly humbled as this was our recipe for disaster. He relapsed on drugs during our first year of marriage, and I had placed my hope in him as my savior, and he failed me. I felt like he had chosen drugs over me, and I was all alone again. My feelings of abandonment were drowning me. It hurt. The pain was amplified. It was so real. I didn't understand addiction or the power of sin, especially when in isolation. The pit in my stomach comes back instantly when I think about these days of his relapse, when it came into the light early morning, frantically searching for him till I found him. My anger was back. I was back in survival mode, and I was clearly going to have to make every decision for him from now on because he wasn't capable. So I called a sponsor, a close friend, his mom. We gathered around him, encouraged him to go to detox, and he quickly got back on his feet. He lost his clean date, but not the knowledge or the truths. The bigger task seemed to be getting me back on my feet, or maybe standing on my feet for the first time ever. I'd never dealt with the years of neglect, abandonment, and anger that controlled my life. God was showing me how out of control I was and how in control he was. Half of the people in my life were pushing divorce, and the other half were walking on eggshells around me so I wouldn't divorce him. But I never thought for a second about divorce, and I didn't have to tell him that, though. I ignored his phone calls while he was in detox and thrived on the outside in once again survival mode. But on the inside, I had nothing left. I had married my best friend, an amazingly godly man who I had a real connection with for the first time ever. He is someone I learned to be vulnerable with and taught me how to take down my walls. He really is such a gift from God. I love you, Q. Uh, but we had avoided, you know, counsel, community, Christ. We traveled the world and worshiped each other, and, and really I had loved every second of it until I was alone in his house with my name now on it, all alone. Quentin got back on his feet and came home after a time apart. I forgave him out of loneliness and was sure he would let me control him for the rest of his life. He owed me that much. We decided we should try for a baby, really join the church, go to marriage counseling, and he could do regen. So we did all that. This baby thing wasn't really working out. Marriage counseling wound up being about both of our sins, not just the horrible sins he brought into our marriage. And joining the church was the scariest thing I have ever done to this day. Long story short, when I interviewed to serve on the porch, the young adult team here at Watermark, uh, to complete our membership process, I was asked if I would maybe consider doing Regen instead. I was shocked, and now newly pregnant with twins, kind of appalled, uh, but I said yes, I would go to this recovery-based ministry. Fine, I'd go, I went. It wasn't like I was going to have to actually walk through the 12 steps, just go to check it off my list. But my first night at Regen, it was super rainy, and emotionally, I was not prepared for anyone and everyone to talk about their feelings. How did so many people know how to say what they felt inside? How did they know what words to use? I could barely describe my feelings. And overcome with the confusion, I sobbed the whole way home. And I think that's really when I was aware for the first time of my brokenness. It was a really sweet moment of God allowing me a glimpse of what my next year would look like. Uh, I wanted what those women had, 
but I hadn't allowed feelings to surface in like 20 years and I just didn't know the sorrow and joy that I was gonna experience. And those pains left scars and ripples in the wave that affected so many people in my life to this day. And the steps taught me what my parents weren't able to. And I witnessed those women taking responsibility for the things that they had said and done, no matter how terrible or sinful, and faithfully following through with the steps every week, asking for forgiveness, confession at thought level, prayer so they could be healed, James 5:16. Mind-boggling. It was all new for me, though. I was on overload, bringing my sins to the surface, and I got to see the 12 steps really soften my heart, though. Each step helped shed a layer of pain that I allowed to hold me captive. Uh, step eight, forgive, is still my God hug of region. Forgiveness is a daily choice, a daily commitment that we tell Satan not today, a choice that I think I wasn't willing to initially allow or think was for me. Step eight showed me how to extend forgiveness and accept it. Both have been super crucial in my walk. I was starting to see me, maybe how Christ saw me, and I kind of panicked, but I was quickly reminded by my leaders and fellow group members, like how the back of the book ends. It was the first time I was in part of healthy relationships other than Quentin, and it was the first chance I allowed my heart to be fully embraced by Christ. I was rewarded with intimacy and the best kind of intimacy. Intimacy from the creator of the heavens and earth. I was fully known and in desperate need of a savior. He was allowing me to gra grasp concepts of confession, amends, grace, self-love. That was a huge one. Obedience, hard work with his perfect timing and community. I completed Regen. Not fixed, but revised. After the completion of Regen, I felt like I could continue on with the tools that I had and was still acquiring through community, Bible studies, biblical counseling, normal ebbs and flows of marriage. My recovery can still knock me off my feet though, but I am reminded that my marriage is my ministry to Christ and Christ-centered recovery is a triple marathon. Christ won't abandon me no matter how hard I push him away and I don't need to control my friends or family. I can draw the circle around myself, say there's Trinity prayer or panic, and I still relapse on anger oh too often, but I can repent, I can ask for forgiveness, I also can accept the grace given, and I still feel undeserving of the grace extended, but really that's beyond my control. Most of my close relationships took a huge hit before Regen. Satan and I were very efficient at relational destruction. Allowing Christ's perfect timing to heal those I had wronged was a test in itself. I had to sit and wait in obedience as he prepared my heart and opened and closed doors during my amends. In 2015 is when I made actual first amends for the first time ever for my previous control and anger. And my family was first. Um, my sweet brothers showed me so much grace, period. No questions, no debate, just handed it to me. Mom is, was, is an intensely handwritten letter that I have tucked away, waiting nervously on God's timing. Dad got shelved, and then there was an ex-boyfriend, God, opened the door and I walked through. I was reminded repeatedly not to judge the obedient, obedience by the outcome, but it was hard to keep my feelings and pride in check as he did not accept my apology. But the men's wasn't about him accepting my apology. God flung that door open and I walked through. It still hurts knowing the way that he responded is still how he feels after all these years, but I know I did right by God and I put myself out there and I also got to share region and God's love with him. 
I found many ways to serve my friends and family as I continue this marathon. I've got to share my mess with you all tonight. My mess is his message of grace, redemption, love, change, faith, and my marriage is an opportunity for me to display my faith during the storms, but I delight in the hard work and my relationship with Christ and my husband are always worth it. I have learned to study the Bible and point those to Christ during their sticky situations with scripture and prayer. I don't hesitate, but I am imperfect. I'm still finding myself wanting to control people and getting angry when they don't cooperate. And my abandonment issues still run deep. First Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. G Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am worst of them all. Paul says this, and most days I do feel worst of them all. But a year ago, I made amends with Dad after almost 20 years of brokenness. It was a meeting long overdue, a meeting where I accepted forgiveness as he offered my parents as he offered it after my parents' nasty divorce in 2000, and I asked forgiveness for trashing 10 years' worth of letters he wrote to my brothers and I, trashing letters that, I would, have, that would have brought up feelings selfishly I could not have handled. And I figured what our brothers didn't know couldn't hurt them. I had pushed Dad away so hard for so long that he had finally given up on writing. He had stopped sending cards after, and after years of no response, this was a pattern that I see now, a pattern that caused my brothers to wonder why their father didn't care enough to remember their birthdays or wish them Merry Christmas, because he had remembered. And as he is committed to us in the message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. After reading those verses, it made things clear I was to move forward, offer, and accept forgiveness. I'm still numb after that initial meeting a year ago now, and in shock, wanting to escape and control and redirect my anger. I'm trying not to, though. I'm trying to pause, not to panic. Remember that Christ called me to do this, and he has endured all. Hebrews 2.18, since he himself has gone through the suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. I never thought this day of amends would have come and gone. I had no reason pre-Christ to fix what I'd broken, but Christ had been softly working on my heart and preparing me for this. I have no idea why I deserve this new father-daughter relationship. I can't even believe this is the life God has given me, but here I stand. Uh, last month was my birthday. Dad sent me a card, and for the second time in 10 years, I opened it and read it. The past year has flown by as I've adjusted to God's version of this father-daughter relationship. We have had tons of great convos, laughed a lot, and, and been grateful that we both just know Christ. It's kind of simple when you think about it like that. We together sent off my brothers to the Marines and have witnessed how our time in the Word has directly affected those family members closest, in a good way. Uh, my name is Sophia. Through Christ's grace, I am learning daily to hand over my struggles with anger, control, and abandonment, and allow him to be more than enough. I have a new life in Christ, and I can continue this marathon, at least for today. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>